So, Lord willing, we'll get, get some more uh, of that this year. But uh, this morning, we're going to look here at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, over in verse 12 and 13. I want to read for us 11 to 17 just to give us um, the context of this passage where we've been at. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brothers have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, as we've been looking, uh, we began last week, and we got through verse 12 dealing with, with Cain. We talked about the faithful and the unfaithful seed. You are either one or the other. You are either of your father Cain or your father the devil, or you are of uh, the Lord. Uh, you, there is no in-between. There is no halfway. There is no universal fatherhood of God, mind you. And as we come here, he is teaching us in this passage what it means to have a loving relationship and what it means as well to hate. Uh, he, he describes what love is. He's going to demonstrate what love is. But he does so first by telling us in verse 12 what love is not. Love is not hating your brother. Love is not being jealous and envious of your brother and then slaying him. It's literally the idea of one uh, to, to slaughter or to even gives the picture of, of, of a cutting of one's throat. You can't imagine doing that to your own next of kin, your own brother, your sister. But here, this is what happens, a, a result of the fall. And as we come, we, we look at this unfaithful seed now. As one commentator puts it, dealing with, with this uh, few verses here with Cain, he says, Cain was the prototype of the world, which still manifests the ugly qualities he first displayed. The world is Cain's posterity, so we are not to be surprised if the world hates us. It is only to be expected that the wicked should continue to regard and treat the righteous as Cain regarded and treated his righteous brother, Abel. Now, verse 12 and 13 go hand in hand. Because we find the sin of Cain, we find the hatred of which he showed to his brother, even rising up to, to kill him there in the field. A total disregard for his brother being made in the image of God as he was. A total disregard for his brother being a living soul, a total disregard for God's law. You say, well, the Ten Commandments weren't around yet. Oh, well, they might not have had to be written on stone, but they were certainly already written on hearts. Man has known and does not need to be taught that they are not to murder, lie, cheat, steal. We, we know these things. They're ingrained upon us. We know that it is evil, yet in his sinful condition and in his sinful nature, in his unfaithful condition, Cain is one who does not truly have faith in the Lord because in the sacrifice of which they both present, there is no faith being brought by Cain. Instead, what is brought is an act of works, an act of uh, self-righteousness, which is no righteousness at all. And so, as we see here, Cain is acting truly as a prototype of the world. The world is not righteous. The world is not good. The world is not good-natured, right? There are many who make the philosophical arguments are people naturally good and then society turns them bad? Or are they naturally bad and that's why we have bad societies? Well, clearly and obviously, logically, just on a surface level, if you have good-hearted people, how will they be corrupted to make a bad society? 
right? There has to be something in them that makes them bad, that makes them want to do bad, which will then make a bad society. How do we get bad societies? It's because we have bad people. We have bad people because we have bad hearts. We have bad hearts because we have a sin nature, a sinful condition that we have been thrust into from the very first fall of man there in the garden. Each one of us born in this condition, born with this nature, born separate from God, born without righteousness, born without the desire to do that which is right according to God's word. And so we find that Cain is really the father of this to a degree. He is the father or the the picture of the world here. And now, in John's context, this is important. He says in verse 13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You see, the Antichrists who have left the fellowship are viewed as never truly having salvation and to be a part of the world. Over in in, in chapter 2, we see this. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. We see that they were not truly of the Christian faith. They go into the world because they are only of the world. Now, what did Jesus say about his kingdom? He says it is not of this world. Rather, it is an eternal uh, kingdom, an eternal uh, ruling and reigning. It is unearthly. But everything that comes and is found on this earth has a foundation of, of sinfulness. It is led by sinful men. Uh, it is leading people with sinful natures and in a sinful condition. Therefore, uh, it, it hates the light. It hates what is good. And so what John is saying here is that those who are truly saved are not of this world as Jesus taught. The moment you were born again, you are translated from the dark kingdom of this world into the kingdom of the light of Christ. Now, I want to turn for just a moment here over to the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. Gospel of John, chapter number 1 here, to uh, see a couple of things this morning. Uh, First, we're going to see in John, chapter 1, the importance of light. Here, he says, uh, let's begin in verse number 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, this is very important. This is describing Jesus, the, the light of the world, the, the true light. It is that he shines in the darkness. The light literally steps into the dark world. It is dark spiritually. He's not just describing a physical world where Jesus may be being born at night, but rather the spiritual condition of the world is that it is in darkness. It is dark-hearted. It, it is literally like in the dark, feeling its way, uh, trying to find its way. Now, in this darkness... He says, in him was life, and the life was light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is twofold. When we think of comprehending something, we think of something that is only uh, intellectual or, or of, of, a, of a mental knowledge, right? And so it is that of going, they did not see Jesus for who he truly was. Now, that is certainly true. They did not comprehend who Jesus was walking around, even though he was, it was plain as day. Uh, he is fulfilling in, in his ministry uh, all the prophecies, performing all the miracles that the true Messiah was going to perform, that only the true Messiah could perform. And he's doing all these things as a sign to Israel that they would repent and believe. However, in their darkness, their eyes are blinded, their hearts are dark and and cold and, and like stone. And so they see Jesus, yet at the same time, they do not comprehend that it is the Christ. They know that this is Jesus, the good teacher, or Jesus, the the healer, 
but they miss that this is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God, the one prophesied to come and take away their sin. But the word comprehend also has another level to it, and it is that of a despising. It is not only that the world did not know, those in darkness did not know that this was the light of Christ, that this is the true light, but it is that they despised that light. There's further evidence just over two, uh, two pages or two chapters over in John chapter 3. Uh, this is during the discourse with Jesus and Nicodemus, and he's discussing this, uh, this issue. He comes now to verse 18, says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation. And here's, here's where we're getting. That light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's really the fulfillment of what it means to, uh, for the light to come into the darkness of the world and for the darkness to not comprehend it. It is that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The light shows their deeds are evil. The light shows their sinful condition. This is why Cain gets angry at his brother's sacrifice and wants to kill him and does kill him because the light of his faith has shown his darkened heart. It has shown him to be laid bare before God and that he has no faith of his own, he has no righteousness, and he truly has no real fellowship with God as John has been talking about in 1 John. Verse 20 then tells us of chapter 3 of John, it says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. It's not that he just loves darkness over light, that it's just his preference, but it's that in his heart he hates the light. Do you know what hate means? means hate. It's exactly what First John goes on to talk about, how John, who uh, writes by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost here, this uh, record of John 3, he goes and talks about what hate means. To hate the light literally means that men who love darkness, meaning the people of this world, would rather kill Jesus the light. What did they do? They rose up to kill him. They plotted and planned for for many and much of the time of his ministry, seeking how they could trip him up, seeking how they could keep people from following him, seeking how they could see that he would be stopped. Praise the Lord, though, while uh, he did die on the cross, he rose again, bursting forth uh, to demonstrate his light forevermore, that, that there is no conquering the light of Christ. There is no conquering the light of the gospel. And then he says, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. He says, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. <coughs> Here we find the truth that John writes in 1 John and as well as in the Gospel that he records that the darkness truly hates the light. And Cain is representing the darkness of the world. It would be those of Cain who would go to continue to go down this unfaithful pass, uh, this uh, passage and down this unfaithful lineage, all the way getting to the point where they're going to be performing human sacrifice and committing all sorts of idolatries and and immoral, uh, immoral acts against God and against one another. But it would be through uh, through another that would come that would bring about this faithful lineage. Now, as we return back to First John, we uh, see this important truth of what it means here. Uh, as, as Cruz writes, the association of the command to love with a warning about the world's hatred may perhaps be explained by the author's dependence on the fourth gospel. At this point in his letter, in the Last Supper discourse, 
Jesus' teaching concerning the need to love one another is followed immediately by teaching that his disciples would experience hatred from the world. In the context of John 15, these two ideas function as part of Jesus' preparation of his disciples for the time following his imminent departure to the Father. They will need to adhere to one another in mutual love and be prepared to face hostility <clears throat> from some unbelieving Jews. End quote. And this is what brings us back here to this passage. We find that Cain is pictured as this uh, prototype of the world, and then we come to verse 13, and John says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Now, this is exactly what Christ had told him and the other disciples there on that night as Jesus is teaching them, as he is preaching to them and preparing them. And mind you, Jesus is always preparing his disciples for what is to come. We don't always see that because we don't see the future. We only see the nasty now and now. But going through this, Jesus is always preparing you to be used and for what is to come. We might not know what exactly is to come, but this is one of the cases that Jesus lays it perfectly clear. He says, I'm going to leave. You're going to remain. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to fill you. So you're going to be even better off than that. He says, but guess what? Then the world is going to hate you. They're going to deliver you up. They're going to kill you. They're going to slaughter you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to run you down and hunt you down. It is literally the idea of what the world does, what darkness does to light. Now, I want to turn back to John 15 for just a moment to kind of help us out a little bit. I want us to see the exact words of Christ and what he tells them. Everyone that talks, especially in the world today, mind you, one thing that I've found is that people in the world who do not know the Bible and do not know God believe themselves to be Bible experts. They know not John 3.16, but rather they can tell you Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest ye be judged, and they cannot tell you the rest of the chapter. They just know judge not. That's all that matters, and it's not, by the way. Matter of fact, it goes on to tell us how to judge, okay? We're called to judge, not be judgy people, but called on how to judge, how to properly discern in those things. So we've got to understand some context here. But the other thing that folks do that are lost and don't know Christ, that don't know their Bible, and unfortunately many people who claim to be believers do a very similar thing as well, is that they say, Jesus is such a good preacher, such a good teacher. All he preaches and teaches is love. Well, that sounds really nice, but it's just not true some of the heavier messages that jesus preaches and in, 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 in length goes on to tell his disciples you're going to die for my name's sake even turning back to the crowds as they're following him and say uh, telling them unless you can pick up your cross and follow me daily and, and come after me then you're not worthy to be my disciple you're not worthy to follow me and if you lose your life now you'll gain it Right? If you lose the world now, you'll, you'll gain everything that you could possibly imagine in eternity. People didn't like that message. Matter of fact, many of them left. The crowds left. Jesus didn't have a, a mega church, nor was he looking for a mega church. He was looking for committed followers and disciples, and here's what he, he taught them here. In John 15, uh, he begins by speaking that he is the true vine, and that we are to abide in him. That's truly going to be the key for every believer, for the disciples early on, especially after Jesus leaves, to, to abide in Christ, to abide with each other. But it is especially true even today. If we were to pinpoint the greatest need for your heart and my heart, it is to abide in the true vine of Christ. What often happens in our churches and our homes is that we begin to do things in our own strength, our own power. You know, we go, as long as I can keep my eyes open, as long as I can keep my feet moving, as long as I can keep my hands working, 
then everything will be fine, right? It'll just work itself out. Well, that, that might sound like a good thing, but what it does, it takes God out of the picture. It, it does not make us dependent upon God. And every time that we find someone who is truly used of God, Old and New Testament, we find people who knew that they were weak, but knew that God was strong. And as the Apostle Paul said, that there is strength found in his weakness, that, that Jesus tells him that his grace is sufficient, that we are simply to depend on, on Christ for our, our life, everything, every aspect, every part of it. And now we, we come in, in John 15, and he, he's moving through this discourse, and he says in verse number 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. That's self-sacrificial love. That, that love that truly gives all of oneself without anything expected in return. A, a true love that comes from God. He says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Notice that, believers, today. That your joy might be full. He didn't say that you might be joyful when things are going good only. He didn't say that you might be joyful when you know, you, you're having a good day or you don't have an ache or a pain. Rather, he says, that if you abide in me, that your joy will be full. The reason why our joy is not so full is because we are not truly abiding in Christ. We're abiding in many things. We might have Jesus on Sunday, but how about our daily walk when we're no one else is there to encourage us or to tell us what to do or what to think or, or, or to help our, our attitude? Those are the moments that we must abide all the more in Christ to have our joy filled. He says, greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, and that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another." He says to them and prepares them, abide in me, because if I abide in Christ, then what do I know and what do I have? I have the love of Christ. If I have the love of Christ and experience the love of Christ, which is always there and abounding and overflowing, if we go and partake of that fountain of his love and his mercy and his goodness and his kindness and all those beautiful things that he has just taught about, then what happens is we become a fruitful people and we bear real fruit because we have Hearts that are full of the fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace and jealousy, goodness, all of these things. But those will only come from abiding in Him. Now, if we have that and we get to that next stage, we're filled up, right, by, by being filled up by Christ, then He tells us, then love one another. Fill each other up, right? Your cup doesn't run over just to watch it spill. It runs over to fill up others, <clears throat> to help one another, to demonstrate love to one another. And now, in this, he's preparing. And the message sort of shifts a little bit. In verse 18, he says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Let me ask you this. Is the world your friend? No. Does it want to be your friend? No. Even if it says it does, it doesn't. 
The world lies. Why? Because it is of their father, uh, the devil, who is the father of lies. The world wants nothing about who Christ is truly. Now, the world has no problem with you being a Christian as long as you're a Christian on their terms, which to be a Christian on the world's terms is to not be a Christian at all. And what we're facing today and what John was facing then is this constant pressure of the world and of the hatred of the persecution for believers to, one, water down the gospel, water down, or two, to water down their faith or the way that they live, so that way their light and their salt wouldn't be near as effective or, or stinging to the world that desperately needed it. The world loves a Christianity that is Christless. The world loves churches to meet, to do good for their communities, just as long as the gospel is not truly and biblically and powerfully preached. The world loves people who have mega churches and talk about your best day now and your every day of Friday and loves all those things. Why? Because it sounds good and there's no thing in that message that will convict them of sin because sin is never talked about and the gospel is never truly presented. So therefore, the light has never come and been shown down into the dark hearts to reprove them of their sin. And here, Jesus clearly says the world will hate you not because you're special, but rather because they hate me. There is no one in the world today who would probably say, I hate Jesus. They would say, I don't like his followers. You know, they're so mean. They're not like Jesus was. I wish we could be half of what Jesus was. I wish we could be half of what we're supposed to be. I wish we could be half the Christians that we're called to be biblically. You know how offensive we would be then if we were actually really, truly following and abiding in Christ? The world would truly hate us. Now, the world throughout uh, Christian history has uh, hated the world and has persecuted true believers. You and I have been blessed enough to not have to see it, to face it, to deal with it uh, near as much, um, to the degree especially of jailing or being killed. But jailing is coming. That's next, right? It's, it's getting there. You would say, no, it's not. Yes, it is, okay? It's already happening in Western civilized European countries. Um, the stopping of religious rights to preach, to proclaim the gospel, to discuss uh, biblical and genetically what it means to be male, female, uh, human sexuality, what is perverse, what is not, what is idolatry, what is immorality. People are already facing jail time for that in Western Euro uh, European countries, not to mention even places like Canada, our next door neighbor, right? Our, our upstairs neighbor, I guess, right? And, and, and guess what? They're, they're already facing these things. It's not going to be long until it happens here. Perhaps the most hated people group in America today, in America today are probably those who align closely, most closely to Jesus and his teachings. Now, there were those who would say, no, we love Jesus. Well, no, the world does not. Not the real Jesus. They love the Jesus of their imaginations. The world loves the Jesus that they have conjured up in their minds. The world loves the Jesus that they think they know, but they don't. They love the Jesus that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are this, blessed are that, and that's it. They love the beatitude, Jesus, but they don't love the rest of what Jesus teaches, Jesus. We either know Christ or we don't. We either love him or we hate him. There will be no middle ground. And here Jesus goes on to teach his disciples, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. 
But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. I mean, they can't hide it. He that hateth me hateth my father. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. If they hated Jesus enough to crucify him, what do you think they would do to their followers? To the followers of Christ, they would certainly hate him too. Why? Because they hate Jesus. I want to encourage you, maybe this year, even if you're not a big reader, there's some, there are some great books out there that are easy to read little snippets of history, like Fox's Book of Martyrs, Jesus Freaks, which comes in several volumes that covers much of the persecution from the early church days, even up until current events, uh, to follow even uh, magazines and publications like The Voice of the Martyrs that would tell you all about the current persecution that is taking place today. Right now, you and I are meeting in a comfortable room with heat and air condition, comfortable pews. We still have Christmas lights up, right? We've got all of these comforts. Most of us probably drove here, right, or at least had the opportunity to, right? And guess what? All around the world, though, there are people who don't have pews, don't have hymn books, don't have any of these things, and all the while they're meeting in secret, not because they're ashamed, but rather because their life is actually in danger just to meet and gather as the church. You and I know nothing of what that means. You and I know nothing of what that looks like. But yet, in those places, the gospel is thriving. Churches are stronger than here. Here, churches are weak and anemic at best. And the reason why I firmly believe is because we do not have near enough people that want to kill preachers and want to kill Christians. When we find the book of Acts, all throughout it, there's this continual theme of the gospel going to those that Jesus said he would send the gospel to through his witnesses in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But all throughout it, we find that the church grew and spread because they were persecuted and had to flee. Continuously, uh, throughout uh, the early church history and throughout all of Christian history, the church has been thriving when it has been hated the most. You and I don't like that. I don't even like that. But guess what? The truth remains that Jesus looks to his disciples, who are far better than you and I, mind you, and he tells them, They will hate you. They will persecute you. But to those who act like Cain, to those who act like the world, to those who look like the world, to those who think like the world, to those antichrists that John deals with in 1 John, they won't hate them because they're just Christian enough to maybe be lumped into this big thing called Christianity, but they're not Christian enough to actually be Christian. That's why the world won't persecute everybody that claims to be a Christian because there's many who will one, deny the faith, leave the faith, or two, their faith is so unchristian, even though they would claim to be Christian, they don't know what it even means to be Christian. That is something that we're facing worldwide, and especially here in America, and unfortunately, especially here in the Bible Belt, with those who have grown up in church, they don't know what it means to be saved, they don't know what it means to be born again, they don't know basic understanding or doctrines about justification, how one could be saved, how to even uh, present the gospel, any of these basic things that every believer should know. Here he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. The word world here is cosmos. 
here is to be understood not as the entirety of the universe or creation, but rather those who are of the world. In John's eyes, the world here are the Antichrists who have seceded from the faith and fellowship. The word cosmos, it is that it is often used of, of the world uh, to describe everything, but it has different usages. We have to understand that, especially in John's writings and throughout the New Testament as well. Here, it is certainly pointing back to those who he has just referenced to, uh, to those who are of the world, the world's systems, those who conform to the image of the world, those who conform to the world's ideologies and, and theologies, to those who are worldly. Those are the ones that will hate you. Perhaps some of the most deep persecution or ridicule will come even less from those that you, we would expect, but it will come from worldly believers. It will come from those who believe that they know Jesus, but they don't know Christ. They, they, they will come from those who would say that they're a Christian, yet you won't find them actually understanding what that means. They will be conformed more into the image of the world than they will be to the image of Christ, and they will hate those who hold fast to the traditions of the Bible and to the truths found in Scripture alone. Hatred is not only natural for the unbeliever, but the world's hate will grow. It's not just that it's there, but it's going to wax worse and worse and worse. Matthew chapter 10, and I'll turn here and we'll be, we'll be done in just a second. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is teaching and He's sending out His, his twelve to go and preach the kingdom. And He tells them in verse 16, Behold, Send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before the governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up brother to death, much like Cain. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in the city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciples that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his own household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness that speak ye in light, what ye hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell find that God is preparing His disciples to be hated. What you and I must be prepared for as well today is to be hated. You and I, and I know especially even as a, as a pastor, we want to be liked by as many people as possible. We don't want anyone to hate us. We don't want anyone to despise us, especially for being a Christian because we're just trying to be a good Christian. We're just trying to live like Jesus told us to live and like He lived. However, we should not be caught off guard that the world hates us, that darkness hates the light. They do so because they hate 
the real biblical Christ. So I would say to you, do not be surprised that those who are the unfaithful seed of Cain hate you with the same hatred of their murderous father, Cain, or the devil. May it be said that you and I, though we might be hated, that we would still cling to the the Lord, that we would know and experience His love, that we would then in turn love one another, and that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hatred, that we would remain steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, holding our ground and holding forth the light of the gospel. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is not the time to be quiet. Now is not the time to be pessimistic. Now is not the time to to try to win the world over by being more like the world. All that that will do is make more weak of churches, make, make weaker churches and weaker believers. Now is the time more so than ever to be what Christ has commanded us to be. And that is true believers, true disciples, who are truly abiding in Him and His truth, and who are willing to suffer whatever worldly consequence there may be, but knowing that one day we shall be with our Lord Jesus Christ and it will be worth it in the end. And that though we might be killed in the flesh to to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and that though the world might hate us, we might love the world enough to even be willing to lay down our lives to see that the world hears from our lips, sees with their eyes and with our actions that we love Christ, and that there is a way, that there is hope, that there is forgiveness, that there is peace that only Jesus can give and knowing Him and following Him can give. May our hearts as well pray today for those who are facing persecution. May our hearts as well be strengthened in the midst of those who hate us. Christ loves you and calls you His friend. So take heart and may we keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. Grateful for Your Word, that we can study it, that we can learn from it and grow from it. God, I pray that You would help us, strengthen us. Lord, we do pray for the persecuted church. We pray for those who are certainly struggling and dealing with things that we can't even begin to fathom or imagine. God, I pray that we would be Christians who would be so much like You that the world very well may hate us, but that we would understand that these are things that You told us would happen, that we wouldn't be surprised by it. God, rather that we would be more surprised that those who claim to be Christ, uh, to be Christians, who claim to know you, God, that we'd be more surprised that they're not living right. God, that we would love you enough and love people enough and love one another enough to, to be changed by that love, to be changed by it so that we might be used of you in these dark days, that we would be light where there is nothing but darkness. God, help our hearts today now to be able to worship you to glorify you in all things that we say and all things that we do. Lord, I pray that you would keep your hands upon us and upon this service. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls. Any guys that want to come pray, come pray. And then as well...